I'm back and welcome back. Thanks for clicking on this episode of Laugh, Think, Blow Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Phil Wilkins, and wow, there has been a lot that has happened over the last several weeks. But firstly, thank you for your patience. We haven't lost a single follower, and I'm really grateful for that. I did have the best of intentions of putting together like a a best bits or a mini clips from previous episodes and getting that up on the feed for you guys, but that just didn't happen. Life happened. Newborn baby happened. There's no schedule. There's no routine or anything like that with a newborn, so you just do what you can and survive. But hopefully I can repay the favor by providing some interesting content over the coming weeks and months. Now, I think I should start with an update. The good news is our baby boy arrived safely and healthily about five weeks ago, not too long after I posted my last update episode, actually. So it all happened a bit fast, a bit faster than we expected. But then again, these things never go to plan. If you're a parent, you may remember that the first few months of having a newborn is not a lot of fun. And in our case, we are working through a few minor issues, nothing major, thankfully, but it has been a bit of hard work. It's all worth it though. And now being the dad of three boys all under the age of eight, it's not going to get any easier from here. So wish me luck. I also don't want to gloss over the fact that this is episode 10. So that's been a little milestone that I've had in place for a while now. Uh, And now here we are. A lot of podcasts don't actually make it to episode 10. So that's why I had the short-term goal put in place in the first place. In fact, only 20% of new podcasts ever make it to year two. And only 3% of podcasts actually make it to episode 40. So there you go. There's my medium and long-term goals. But you have to start somewhere. So I'll take making it to episode 10 as a little victory. Now, we do have a new type of podcast episode lined up for you today. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you'll know that we've been focused on reviewing podcasts and books and things like that. But I've decided to add a new type of genre, which I'm calling screenshots. What I've been doing is taking a screenshot of interesting information, facts, quotes, or anything that's thought-provoking and adding it to my notes. And then on these types of episodes, I want to share a few of those with you guys and have a chat about it. Now, I've been getting these screenshots from three main sources. Firstly, and really the main source, is a bunch of email lists which I've subscribed to. A lot of authors and bloggers, podcasters have weekly email lists. If you know of any that you think I should add to my list, please let me know. Secondly, Twitter believe it or not, so or X as it is now known, it's actually a great source of information if you follow the right people. So I use Twitter for two things, to follow my favorite basketball team, the Utah Jazz, and the rest is following interesting people. I don't get caught up in the ugly side of Twitter. And the final category, I guess, is miscellaneous. So just wherever I find something interesting, I'm going to um, take a snapshot of it. Uh, usually this happens when I'm just spending far too much time on my phone, which is a great segue to lead into our first screenshot for today. I'm begging you to be boring is the title of this email from a blog slash email list called Contrarian Thinking. It's written by Cody Sanchez. It's largely an investment-focused blog, but a lot of good investing concepts spill over into good advice for our daily lives as well. For instance, in this first screenshot, she talks about effective versus efficient days and how boredom is an underrated ingredient in being effective. The modern smartphone is freaking brilliant. There's no way I would wish for a day without them, but they do provide a big distraction and an easy solution to our boredom. Constant drip feed of dopamine as we scroll keeps boredom at bay just enough to save us from actually thinking about anything. I'm certainly not immune to this as well. I spend so much time on my phone, way too much. 
but I have been taking some pretty easy steps to help with this, especially when I'm working and need to be productive, like having your phone on the ground while you work rather than just sitting next to your keyboard on your desk. Or if you can, pop it in another room on charge or something like that. I also turn off the alerts from dinging. So I'm in a lot of group chats, as a lot of us are, and you get you get alerts all day long. So turning them off is a pretty easy solution not to hear it. So that especially when you're in deep focus, if you hear a ding or alert on your phone, you just you really want to get out of that deep focus and go and check your phone. But if you don't hear it, then you're safe. Now, it's easy to blame the phone for this, but it's just the modern form of distraction that we've got. Yes, it's a very effective one, but if you look at any photo from a train cart from back in the 60s, before phones and computers, they all had a newspaper or a magazine in front of their face, keeping up with whatever news story is being talked about for the day. If it's not the newspaper, they had TV, they had music, and they had a lot of alcohol to fill the boredom. So distraction from boredom is not a modern thing. We just have new modern ways that we fill the void. Now, this is an excerpt from her email. It reads, I was recently on a panel with Jay Shetty. Context, I'm kind of a hardo with a Wall Street background who's uncomfortable with all things touchy-feely. And Jay is literally a former monk. The dichotomy couldn't be greater. Yet, he said something that resonated deeply with me. He pinned a name to something I've felt throughout my life, and I bet you have too. You have effective days and you have efficient days. Don't confuse the two. There are days when you'll hammer out 25 items on the to-do list And then there are days that you'll make one important decision. Both are key. So spot on, it's scary. It's my belief that, in either case, boredom is an underrated ingredient for impact. Some of our most effective moments are born in the most boring of times, like coming up with an idea on a long walk or spending hours in deep writing. Maybe we should stop dreading boredom. Instead, let's learn how to recognize it, tame it, and leverage the shit out of it. Now, I thought that was pretty good. I liked that she brought up the to-do list because you can get really caught up in productive procrastination. This this one's more sinister because we think that we're getting work done, tossing off little tasks throughout the day or clearing emails, etc. But we are doing these sometimes as a distraction from the bigger, harder job that we know we need to do. It's a form of procrastination. And the difference between this and scrolling on our phones is this looks like work. It looks like we're making progress and is why it's more sinister. Of course, there are days that we need to get stuff like this done. If we continually let this distract us from what we need to do, then that's a problem. Don't forget the simple but extremely powerful Pareto principle, which states that roughly 80% of consequence comes from 20% of the cause. This has been simplified down into what we know as the 80-20 rule. And when it comes to life, we can estimate that 80% of the outcomes we are seeking comes from roughly 20% of the tasks. It's much better to take some time, identify what are 20% of the tasks that are really the most important ones, and then focus most of our time on these. Cody goes on in her article to show us a chart showing Google search trends for the words, I'm bored. So that's when people have actually typed in, I'm bored into Google just to you know, see what comes up. And this, what this shows is a steady decline from its peak back in 2010, declining until now. And there's no surprise that this correlates pretty perfectly with the rise in social media. Now, TikTok, for instance, a relatively new social media, it's now got a billion users and the average time on that app is 93 minutes per day. And that's just one app. Now, I used TikTok for a little while, but I had to delete it. It's just so addictive. I already spent enough time on Instagram. I didn't need another app. Now, Cody's comments on this graph are, takeaways here 
is that boredom is becoming increasingly scarce. And what happens when something becomes scarce? Its value rises. Do you guys remember back uh, when I was talking about the cocktail party effect on episode seven with George Mack? So the cocktail party effect is where the brain filters out irrelevant information, so noise, focuses in on the signal. Uh, what he was talking about there was it aligns with a reticular activating system. But basically, that's just stuff that you've been thinking about and focusing on creating a signal for. That's actually something that you can notice. So, well, this actually happened to me yesterday. So in the morning, I was finalizing this script, proofreading it, and you know, going back and thinking about all the boredom stuff that we're talking about just before. But then in the afternoon, I was listening to the We Might Be Drunk podcast with Jimmy Carr as the guest, and they talked about the power of being bored and how it's underrated and people should use that to be creative and things like that, especially in their joke writing process. I couldn't believe it. I thought, why not just slip it in here and add the clip into this section and see what their views are on the matter. So here it is. We're all on our phones. We're all up our ass. We're all on apps. I mean, the comedy seller thing is, you know, everyone has to put their phone in an envelope. Yes. And they, they're annoyed by it. But I love it, And too. then it's so good for them. It's so good for like, them. Even that bit before the show when they have to have a fucking conversation with their friend or their date and go, what's up? And you, you see people in restaurants now and they're both on oh, their phone yeah. Googling and you go, no, they both want to be here, but they're both desperate for that dopamine hit and the new the new the i new. once saw a guy walk into the cellar and put a decoy phone into the envelope Whoa. and then he had another phone or maybe he just had two phones a i don't decoy. know yeah, yeah. Uh, two phones that is a that is a drug dealer or a pimp right? yeah right right <laughs> what's the second phone for nah. yeah never, never you mind his other family i don't <laughs> yeah. know yeah exactly but you're right but i think younger people i don't want to generalize i think they have one inkling of discomfort and then they go to this. It's like a pacifier. So I think if you can get over that, maybe that's why the crowd work thing is is so big right now. It's the only time you interact with somebody. Yeah, that that thing of uh, I don't. It's, it's is that thing like boredom doesn't get enough credit. Boredom's like my, huge. My childhood was full of boredom, mm-hmm. and you'd wait for the TV show, and you sort of think about the thing you remember is I don't know whatever you watch when you were a kid, the A Team, and you'd be watching that, and if you missed it, you missed it. And it was a moment in time, but you don't think of the boredom before and after. Right. But actually, that boredom is kind of where your creative yes. mind comes from. Like the, the gift of boredom is huge with writing jokes. Be bored. Be bored more often. Well, you have and to let be your mind wander. And you know? then that thing of like anxiety doesn't get the credit it deserves. Mm. Yeah. Anxiety is a huge part of my kind of creative process because that thing of like, if you go, if you've got your mind whirring the whole time, I'll write jokes. Yeah. Because that's something to do with your mind right if, if four in the morning when I'm not thinking about jokes I will just I'll go into kind of um, just thinking about what's the worst case scenario what's the what's the worst thing that could happen in yeah the world? And, all right, I'll be creative about that oh, yeah. it's also stress I mean sometimes you're stressed about something the thing passes and then it's like the floodgates open you're like joke 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 or premise at least something mm. you know mm-hmm. I, I mean I remember Louis once said to me he calls the phone the pipe he's like put down the fucking pipe the oh. jokes are written in the abyss you have to be lonely you have to be isolated and I, I do think there's truth to that oh, oh yeah he's, he's really he's really jumped into that <laughs> yeah the pipe <laughs> <laughs> the um yeah it's it's interesting that thing of like uh I mean it's always it's always the thing every self-help thing is it's always deferred gratification Yes. Like putting the phone away. We did a thing on holiday a couple of years ago, which sounds really kind of, you know, me and the missus, like put the phones in the safe in the morning. Mm. Like you check, not, you check Princess Diana hasn't died. You check the big. She died? Fucking big, yeah. Oh, so you've got to keep up the deck. You check, you put it in the safe 
and then you kind of have a look at six o'clock in the evening or whatever we're in Hawaii. Best. By the way, your, your phone so and your sure. gun in a, th- in a safe. Yeah. <laughs> how dangerous it is. <laughs> well, it feels like we're like, yeah. uh, sometimes when you sit down at a table like, and everyone puts their phones on the table, it does feel like the Wild West. Yes, yeah. totally. And yeah. then when you actually try and remember boring. the name of the movie or the, or the actor without this guy Googling it, uh, you know, yeah, you yeah. use your mind. It's like a muscle. My final thought on this one is try and take some time to be bored. Often a great idea will come to you just not thinking about anything at all. Just letting your mind wander, whether this is on a walk with no music or a podcast in your ears, or on the train ride into work without scrolling of the socials or clearing some emails before work, just take some time per week to be bored and see what happens. The next one is from a guy called Sean Puri, and it's kind of interesting how I stumbled across him. As I mentioned, I had signed up to a few email lists, one of them being Chris Williamson, who hosts the Modern Wisdom podcast. In one of his emails, he gave a short description of what was coming up in his episodes for that week. And he said, if you like George Mack, you're going to love Sean Puri. And I obviously love George Mack. We talked about him on episode seven as people that you've never heard of, but you probably should, and also mentioned a few times. I knew that if I didn't see that email, I wouldn't have clicked on the episode, and I'm really glad I did. After listening to their episode on modern wisdom, I had a bit of a search around to see if Sean Puri had his own podcast, which he does. It's called My First Million. But I was more interested in his written content, which he sends via his email list. One of his first emails that I read was titled, How to Build a Life Resume You're Proud Of. And it's about a guy called Jesse Itzler. I'd heard about Jesse Itzler from David Goggins. Now, if you haven't heard of David Goggins, I heard about him on the Joe Rogan podcast. And if you don't know Joe Rogan, he's Fear Factor host and commentator of the UFC. And if you don't know the UFC, okay, I'm going to stop that little game now. But seriously, David Goggins, this guy's a beast. He went from being a kid who was abused by his deadbeat dad to a young man who was depressed, obese, dead-end job, spraying houses for cockroaches. But then he decided to change things. He joined the army. He completed Bud's Week three times in a row. He became a Navy SEAL. He runs ultra marathons, like over 200 miles, which is amazing. He broke the world record for the most pull-ups done in 24 hours and is known as being one of the hardest, most savage and disciplined human beings in the world. He also has authored two books if you're interested as well. So this Jesse Itzler guy asked David Goggins to live with him for a month. And Goggins thought that was a really stupid, crazy request, but then realized, hang on, that might be just the right amount of crazy. So Jesse told the story on the Joe Rogan podcast years ago. That's where I first heard it. And this clip, for some reason, this clip has just stayed in my mind ever since. In fact, I can remember exactly where I was when I was listening to it. And I don't know why it's had such a lasting impact on me, but it did. Now, I'm going to play that clip for you guys. It's a pretty long clip, like 12, 13 minutes. I'm going to play that whole clip for you at the end of this section. Anyway, I'm getting a little off topic. Now, Sean did an interview with Jesse Itzler on his podcast. And in the email, he summarized it uh, in written form, obviously. He summarized it by listing off Jesse's accomplishments. Now, this was really impressive. Now, there was a whole stack of them, but the two that really impressed me was he created businesses. One of his businesses he created, he sold to Warren Buffett, and another, he sold to Coca-Cola. So like major, major businesses, which these competitors or investors wanted to, to buy a piece of. But he concluded the email with one of Jesse's best bits of wisdom, which is titled, Life is a Bus Ride. And this is the part that really caught my attention and that's why I screenshotted this section and I really wanted to share. Now, you will notice a really strong similarity between this and the essay from Paul Graham titled Life is Short. Now, we did discuss that back on episode seven, people you've never heard of but probably should. 
Now, that's three mentions of episode seven in like 10 minutes. Maybe that's a sign that if you haven't listened to that episode already, cue that one up next. And it is really a good episode. Okay, here is Jesse Itzler's Life is a Bus Ride. I'm 52 years old. The average American lives till about 75. That means I have 25 summers left. I love summers. Only 25 left. The day we wake up, we get on a bus ride. When you're a senior in high school, someone tells you, Jesse, you better enjoy it. Life goes quickly. Then you're in college and someone says, enjoy it. This doesn't last forever. Then you have kids and someone says, enjoy this time with them. They grow up so fast. Now your kid's eight years old and you only have 10 more years until they move out forever. Bus doesn't care if you get sick. It doesn't care if you're lazy. The bus never stops. One day, boom, the ride's over. All we should care about is how we maximize this moment, where we are right now until the day the bus ride stops. How do we do that? Number one, take care of the bus, your health. It's your vehicle to life. Two, take care of people on the bus. The three C's, compliment, congratulate, and console everyone in your network as often as you can. You can invest three minutes a day texting people just like this. Three, fix my flats. A lot of people are anti-confrontation. You have to face the broken areas. Pick one big thing every year and address it. Now, I think that's fantastic advice. And just because I think it's really cool, here is the clip of Jesse talking about the 30 days living with David Goggins. Bear in mind, this recording was done about six years ago. So here's the clip. When, when Goggins lived with me, his rule is we had to do something every day that sucked. <laughs> that yeah. was his rule. He's the master at that. <laughs> yeah, tell me yeah. about it. And, what uh, did he make you do? Uh, every day sucked. <laughs> he, he didn't tell me that we we're going to do that five times a day. That you know, um, no. I mean, I remember one day. Well, the first thing we did was we, he came and and he um, he wanted to see how many pull ups I could do so he could map out the month. He lived with me for a month, and I went to the pull up bar and I got like maybe eight pull ups, which is an exaggeration. I probably got like four pull-ups. You know? <laughs> a lot of people are listening, so I'll say eight. Uh, and then he said, all right, wait 30 seconds, go and do it again. And I went up on the pull-up bar and I did maybe like three or four. He said, all right, wait 30 seconds, I want you to do it again. And I got up on the pull-up bar and I did maybe like one kipping, you know, getting my right. damn chin over the bar, barely. And I dropped down, I was all jacked up. And I said, all right, well, what's, what's next? He said, well, what's next is we're not leaving here until you do 100 more. We're not leaving the gym till you do a hundred more. That day, now, like right now, right now. So you and had I was done like, seven. I did like probably seven or ten, and I was like, "Man, Goggins, that's impossible." And he said, "You know, I already, I already know what your biggest problem is." And he's like, "The limitations you're putting on yourself are, are self-imposed. Get the fuck back on the bar." And you know, Jesus Roger Christ. that, man. <laughs> and uh, I got up on the bar, and I over over the course of an hour or two, I did them. And that started our journey of like, you're about to go in a place where you've never been, motherfucker, you know? And, you know, we went, I remember one day I was sitting on the couch and uh, in Connecticut where I was living at the time and on the ticker on the, on the TV, the emergency broadcast system came up. Stay inside, freezing rain, icy conditions, high winds, stay inside. It was like beeping, stay inside. And Goggins was like, this is amazing, man. Let's go for a run. <laughs> And I'm like, they're telling us the exact opposite, man. They're, they're, they're broadcasting to the whole community to stay inside. Right. So we go for a 10-mile run in the blizzard, and we come home, and I lived on a lake, and kids are playing hockey on the lake. So we go down, and he takes his hand, and he moves all the snow off the ice, 
it gets a boulder and he breaks the ice, a little hole in the ice with the boulder and then he takes his hand, he makes the hole a little bit bigger and then he jumps in and then he points at me and he takes his finger and he signals for me to jump in. I'm not going in the fucking freezing cold water because my mother told me as a kid in Long Island, don't go anywhere near the frozen water. If you fall in, you have like a minute, you know? Right. He's bathing in it. So, of course, I go in and uh, he looks at me. He's like, man, you got about a, about four, two, two, two to four minutes. You're going to get hypothermia. We just went on a run. We got to get you out of the lake. And I go to get out. He goes, you can't get out. He goes, if your skin touches the ice, it's going to stick to the ice like the kid in Christmas story, his tongue that sticks to the pole, you know? So he puts my shoes back on my hands and picks my ass up and puts my sock, I put my socks on or whatever. And I, I bear crawl out of the ice and I run up and I see my wife looking out the window as I'm running into the house and we come in and she says to um, Goggins, you know, like, what's the medical benefit of jumping in a frozen lake? And he said to her, there's no medical benefit. She's like, this is what your husband signed up for. You know, he's like, I want to see how far he's willing to go to get to his goals. And I was like, fuck, this is going to be some 30 days, man. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Wow. What was the toughest thing he made you do? Uh, it was just the consistency of it. You know, it was just like, it was just like, it was just, he, he went everywhere I went. He shadowed me for 30 days. He went to every business meeting. We flew together. He lived you know, with my wife and I. Did you and, think like, what the fuck did I sign up for? This is back in 2010. So this is, uh, you know, um, yes, I did. I was- And the book came out two years ago? No, I can't, yeah, I waited five years. I didn't, I didn't you know, expect it to ever be a book. It was just like, you know, at all. There was no book being discussed. I, I kept a little blog about it, you know? So why'd you do it? <sighs> um, I just felt like there was so much in it. There's so many lessons and it was funny. Fish out of water, like he's coming into our house. My right. wife owns Spanx. I mean, like the whole dynamic of this shit was crazy. Right. And um, I just felt there were a lot of lessons that could be learned through it. And um, you know, I just took a shot at it. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's a maniac. When, when he did the podcast, I got here, he showed up super early. And when I got here, he was already with his shirt off doing chin-ups. <laughs> I was like, I walked into the back where the gym is, and he's, he's in there. I'm like, look at this motherfucker. Amazing. Yeah, he's a savage. Yeah, yeah. He's legit. But these are all the lessons, you know, like, yeah. as you're talking about, you know, and you don't know where the nuggets come from. You put yourself in a position mm -hmm. for the nuggets to appear. And they don't have to be radical positions, like I'm gonna go get Goggins or I'm gonna go live with a mom. Right. They don't have to be radical, but you put yourself out there yes. like you were saying, and you live a life where those lessons find you. Yeah, and, and then and seek them. You seek them. Yeah. Well, Goggins' story is so fascinating because he wasn't that guy. He was fat and out of shape and unmotivated and lazy. And, you know, talked openly about the first time he ran, like he quit. He was supposed to, you know, he ran about three quarters of a mile, I think he said, and quit. And he was exhausted and just drinking milkshakes and all fucked up. And somehow or another decided he's not going to be that guy anymore and went 180 degrees. And yeah. became this intensely motivated Ironman. Yeah. Yeah, I was at the race. I saw him at the race where he broke all the bones in his feet, you know? I saw him. I was at the, I participated in that race. It's the first time I saw him. That's how I met him. And in uh, 2007. And, uh, you know. He broke all the bones in his feet? He broke, yeah, he, he, he was running 100. I was running this race. It was a 24-hour race as a relay team. I was with four friends. 
and the format of the race is, you know, you run a mile, I run a mile, my other, whatever mm -hmm. team runs the most amount of miles right. wins the race. He had no teammates. <laughs> that sounds I'm like, like him. Where, where's the rest of the team? That sounds like him. And he weighed a lot at the time. So, I, and I watched him. Weighed a lot. Was he bodybuilding at the time? He was just big. You know, he probably weighed 260, 70 pounds, oh, maybe more. He was deadlifting and all yeah, that maybe, stuff. Yeah, maybe even more. So was this the one where he ran 24 hours all around the just to show that he could run 100 miles? Yes. And he wound up shitting himself? Yes. And all that? Yeah, he told me about that. I saw it. I didn't know he broke all the bones in his feet, though. He broke some bones, yeah. He didn't even tell me about that. And then he ran a marathon a month later. Yeah. He's a fucking animal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. really is. Yeah. And he was telling me also that Explain he did that. Explain that to your wife when you say he's coming to live with you. <laughs> you don't know my wife. That's ain't happening. <laughs> She's kick us both out. <laughs> I just said it really fast. I told Sarah because I, I flew out I flew out to meet Goggins after the race. You know, I, I cold called him and uh, my wife asked me how the meeting went. And in the meeting, you know, I, I realized like I kind of wanted to get the secret sauce. Like, the fuck? Right. Dry, you know. Yeah. And um, was that the idea? Like, yeah, I was like, you, oh. like by by being around some such an intensely motivated guy, that you would g get the rub, get the rub, and I I'd fallen into a routine I couldn't get out of, mm. and I just you know like I was like just get me out of my routine, man, you know, right. and I want to learn from you and that kind of thing, and uh, my wife asked me how the lunch meeting went, and I told her that you know he's come live with us. She was like, <laughs> so what? You had I'm this like, lunch meeting with him, and did you were you going to propose this before the meeting? Uh, I went to, what happened was I went to the meeting and, um, with no real agenda other than like, I want to meet this guy, man. You know, it's 2007. I want to meet him. 2008, something around, around there was 10 years ago. And, uh, I was just so like drawn to him, you know? And, um, I actually went home and then, and then asked him to come, you know, live with me. And, uh, and he said yes. And then I told my wife after. Like, this, this guy's coming in two days. Now, why did he say yes? I mean, isn't he busy? Did you offer him money? Like, how did this... No, he was, um, <laughs> he was, uh, he was active. He was still in the military at the time. And, uh, yeah, I think, um, I don't know exactly what triggered. I remember asking him to come, and I remember him saying to me, if you're crazy enough to ask a guy like me to come live with you... Motherfucker, I'm crazy enough to come. <laughs> Three days later, he shows up with one bag. Knowing him, that is exactly what it would sound like if he said it with those crazy eyes. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Sweetie, this is David. Wow. Did you give him an objective? Did you say, did you say why you wanted him to, to come or what, what you were at trying that, to get out of at it? At that time in my life, I had a... I was I had a um, just left. If I have my timeline right, I think I just left the my private this private jet car company. I had Marquee Jet. I was just starting out in the Zico in this coconut water business, and I was in a routine. You know, I was in a rut. Not mm -hmm. a, I was just doing the same stuff, man. I was so comfortable, and I was just like, just come shake it up, man. You know, you can travel with me. I got some meetings coming up. We'll live together. There was no book. There was no anything. Right. The book happened years later. And um, he said he said he would do it. That's crazy that he just. Agreed. I loved it, by the way. It was Did one you? of the best months of my life. Really? I loved being around him. He's an amazing guy. I loved, um, 
you know, we were watching games. We were working out. I was going out midnight, three in the morning. We were running in the blizzards. We three were, in the morning. One, one day, he was like, we're going to run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I was like, I got to work. He's like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You can work 40, in 48 hours. Wow. So I would wake up at midnight. We started at midnight. We would run, let's say it took us 40 minutes and then we would come back. We'd have, you know, what, three hours and 20 minutes of rest. And then at 4 a.m. we'd go again, four miles, boom, 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 48 hours. Jesus Christ. I, I mean, we'd go to work. We'd be sitting at work and um, I'd have like a 30 minute break and he'd be like, burpee test. I'm like what? I'm at work. He'd be like, I want to see how many burpees you can do in 10 minutes. I'd be like, burpee test. And I was like, in the middle of work, I would like get down, take off my, you know, whatever I was wearing. I'd get like my boxers or whatever, like just to get, and I would do as many burpees as I could in 10 minutes and be soaking wet and I'd walk into my next meeting. And everybody knew he was, you know, like he was, that was part of the thing. So you explained to all these people that oh, you yeah. wow. Closed every deal. <laughs> I close every deal, man. Because <laughs> you're so amped up. And, but plus, he was there. Who's going right. to say no? It was fa people were fascinated. <laughs> I'd walk in, and they'd be like, at the end of the at the end of the meeting, I'm like, do you want to talk? He's like, whatever the fuck you guys are in, we're in. We're in. Wow. How'd you end it? How did he end the 30 days? Uh, he left me a note on a post-it. Thanks. That's it. That's it. Jesus. <laughs> That's intense. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Finally, this last screenshot that I stumbled across was on Instagram, and it's a quote from Seneca, a Stoic philosopher from ancient Rome. It says, it does not matter what you bear, it matters how you bear it. Now, the reason this one resonated with me was I was really impacted by reading the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. We dived into this back in episode eight, and I think it has some amazing insights. This has really helped change the way I think about struggles in our lives. Now, this quote from Seneca very succinctly summarized that book. It doesn't matter what you bear. It matters how you bear it. So no one in life is free from suffering. I currently have a five-week-old at home, and there is a lot of suffering for us parents, trust me. But it matters how you decide to respond to it. Maybe not the best example to use, but everyone has their own struggles. What matters is how you choose to respond to it. That's where I'm going to leave it for this episode. I hope you liked this new type of episode. It's a bit different, but I thought it was a bit of fun and hopefully you'll get something out of it. Don't forget, if you haven't already, please follow us on your podcast app. Until next time, thanks for listening.